All right, when you go out into the country, I mean, when you look up at the sky in the city, uh, you don't see much. I mean, you can see the moon. The moon is, moon is beautiful, isn't it? Uh, but you look up at the sky in the city and you don't see too much. If you go out in the country, as I have from time to time, and you look at the sky, you go, where did all those stars come from? I've never noticed them before. It's absolutely amazing. Uh, and why is that true? Well, it's the darker the night sky, I guess today we call it light pollution. The darker the night sky, the brighter the stars shine. And the same is true in our world. The darker our world is, the, the brighter the people of God can shine. And that's what we're talking about in our, in our series, our message series, Shine in a Dark World. Sometimes we just get upset at the darkness, don't we? We, we uh, get angry about it. We get upset. And rather than that, God wants us to see the darkness as an opportunity to let our lights shine for Him. Today our message is entitled, Trusting God's in Control. Trusting God's in Control. Sometimes we fear that things in this world are out of control. Sometimes we may fear that our life situations are out of control. But nothing could be further from the truth. The Bible teaches us that God is completely in control at all times, which is a comforting thought. Psalm 135, verse 6 says, Whatever the Lord pleases, He does, in heaven and on earth, in the seas and all the deeps. And so no person, no spiritual being, no situation, no circumstance can stop God from doing what He desires to do. And the good news is that God is sovereign. Uh, God is in complete control. He has supreme authority and power over everything. Jesus said in Matthew 28, verse 18, Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. So how much authority does Jesus have? All which encompasses everything there is. Not just all authority in heaven, but all authority on earth. Jesus has all authority. He exercises it both in heaven and on earth. And we can rejoice in God's sovereignty and Jesus' sovereignty that he has all authority because Jesus is good. God is good. God is loving. Now, if God was an evil dictator, that would be a scary thought if he had all control. But he's not. He's not. He's a loving God. And we can rejoice because God always does the right thing. He always does the best thing. He always does the loving thing. He does that for every person on this planet. The right thing, the best thing, the most loving thing. He does it for every nation that exists. He does it for our entire world. Always the right thing. Always the best thing. Always the most loving thing. Now, even though God is sovereign, He has created us as human beings with something we call, because the word isn't in the Bible, but we call free will. It's our ability to make choices. Free will to make choices, and our choices can be good or bad. They can align with God's will or they can not align with God's will. So how can, 
how can God be sovereign in control of everything and man have free will? Well, we're not going to delve too deeply into that question this morning, but the Bible teaches us that both are true. There are things in the Bible that our minds cannot wrap themselves around. God's ways are higher than our ways. And so it's not one or the other. They're both true. God is sovereign. He's in complete control. And we have a free will. We can make choices. And as human beings, we have one of the most important choices to make or the most important choice to make in our life. The right choice is to surrender our will, to surrender our lives to the sovereign will of God, to God's sovereign power. And when we do that, God works in us to bring about the best possible life that we could possibly have. Now let's look at one of the most famous verses in the Bible, John 3.16, and talk about it for a minute in this light. It says, For God so loved the world that He gave His only Son, that whoever believes in Him should not perish, but have eternal life. And so God, in His sovereignty, offers eternal life to every person on the planet. Without any exception, everyone is offered this gift of eternal life. But each person has a choice to make. Are they going to accept God's free gift of eternal life or are they going to reject it? Of course, God encourages us to accept this free gift, this wonderful gift that he has for us. And today we're going to learn how to trust that God is in control in our world, even when it seems like everything's out of control. And we're going to discover how to submit ourselves to his will for our lives. And to start off, we're going to be looking at an illustration. We're going to be, we're studying in this series, the, the prophet Jeremiah. And we're going to be looking at an illustration from the prophet Jeremiah. We're going to be looking at Jeremiah chapter 18. But I'd like us to watch a, a video uh, about one of the illustrations that God uses with Jeremiah. And it is called the potter's house. went to the potter's house today and found him working in his shop. As the clay spun on the wheel, his hands became intertwined with his creation. But the jar he was making did not turn out as he had hoped, because the clay was unsuitable for his design. So he crushed it back into a lump and started over. I realized that what the potter can make depends on the quality and purity of the clay. So if the clay becomes dry and too hard, it makes it difficult to shape and form. As I stood there watching the potter work, God spoke something to me. He said, can I not do to you as this potter has done to his clay? Can I not mold and shape you into the design I want? As the clay is in his hands, so are you in my hands. As I thought about what God said, I realized something. What God shapes his people into can depend on our response to his refinement. To truly become the masterpiece God intended, we have to cooperate by letting him mold us into his design. As I left the potter's house, my prayer was this. Lord, you are the potter. We are the clay. All of us are the work of your hands. So have your way in us.
So we are clay in the Lord's hand. The Lord is as the potter, we are as clay in his hands. Let's go to Jeremiah 18, verse 3. So I went down to the potter's house. This is Jeremiah speaking. And there he was working at his wheel. And the vessel that he was making of clay was spoiled in the potter's hand. And he reworked it into another vessel, as it seemed good to the potter to do. So as we saw in this video, the potter shapes a lump of clay, which doesn't look too beautiful, looks kind of like a mess, right? Into a beautiful vessel of honor, a vessel of one kind or another. He makes different kinds of vessels. They're not all the same. A potter can make a, a cup. He can make a kitchen bowl. He can make a, a large container. And all of different kinds and different shapes with different lids and tops and handles or whatever he wants to do. And so that clay represents in Jeremiah's story or God's illustration to Jeremiah, it represents people and nations. In fact, he's going to talk about nations and we're going to be primarily applying it to people. But we remember that how did God create human beings in the Garden of Eden? Out of the dust, out of the clay of the earth. He, he took it up and he formed, he fashioned Adam as the first human being created in the image of God. Now, in this, these verses that we've just read, we, we see that this vessel that the potter was making was spoiled in his hand. Now, how could that happen if the potter represents God and God is perfect, he's all-powerful? How, how could, did he make a mistake? Or how could the vessel be spoiled in his hand? Well, I believe the only way that the vessel could be spoiled is if the clay resisted the potter's hand in one way or another. The clay was not suitable to be shaped by the potter into his original design. But when that happened, did the potter just throw the clay away? No, he took it and started over again and began to work it into a new vessel, perhaps different from the first vessel that he was striving to create. Talk more about that in a minute. Verse 5, Then the word of the Lord came to me, this is Jeremiah speaking, O house of Israel, can I not do with you as this potter has done? Declares the Lord, Behold, like the clay in the potter's hand, so are you in my hand, O house of Israel. And as we said, the immediate application for Jeremiah's word here was to the entire nation of Israel. The point is that God is sovereign over people. He creates, he reworks, he's in complete control of the clay. The clay cannot say to the potter, don't make me this way. The clay cannot say, I don't like what you're doing to me. The, the clay cannot make himself into a vessel or make itself into the vessel. They are dependent on the potter working in the clay. And so we are clay in the Lord's hand. 
And so this illustration of the potter and the clay is not just used in Jeremiah. In fact, there was a verse in the video from Isaiah. It's used multiple times in Scripture. Uh, it's a very important illustration of, of God's sovereignty over our lives represented by this lump of clay. And as I said before, we're going to concentrate today on its application to our individual lives uh, as it also applies to nations. But the Bible teaches us that God begins the shaping process of our lives where? In our mother's womb. The clay begins to be shaped in the womb of our mother. God begins to shape us into the person he created us to be. And everything that God does as he shapes us is, is designed to help us see him as the potter. To help us see him as the creator so that we can learn about him and bring him glory. And this, this really can only happen as, as each of us, as lumps of clay, finally recognizes who the potter is. Recognizes that Jesus came to die for us. And we need to submit our lives to him. And once we understand that we are clay in the potter's hand, in the Lord's hand, it, it gives us great comfort. Because everything doesn't depend on us anymore, does it? God is the one that's working at shaping our lives into something wonderful, into something beautiful, into something that is going to give God glory. And if we sin, if we get off track with, with God's hands, if somehow... We mess up and the vessel is spoiled. God is willing to start over again, to continue working in our lives, to give us a second chance, a third chance, to build us, to remold us into another beautiful vessel. And so we need to understand that we are clay in the Lord's hand and we choose to submit to the Lord's hand. Verse 7 God, speaking through Jeremiah, continues and says, If at any time I declare concerning a nation or a kingdom that I will pluck up and break down and destroy it, and if that nation concerning which I have spoken turns from its evil, I will relent of the disaster that I intended to do to it. And so God is saying, if I prophesy through a prophet and give a word that a nation is is going to be judged in this case that Israel would be destroyed that is not the final word you see these verses teach us some important principles about prophecy and how God works in our lives prophecies are not just about foretelling the future in fact I believe prophecies are first and foremost to bring about change in people's lives, to bring about change in people's behavior. That's why the prophecies were given to Jeremiah to give to the people of Israel. And a prophecy that Israel, you're going to be destroyed because of your great sin might seem like there's no hope for the nation. But God is saying, if you turn, if you repent, if you turn away from this looming judgment, then I'm, I'm not going to bring about it. I'm going to relent. Now, an example of this is the prophet Jonah. We'll leave off the whale story for today, but the prophet Jonah was sent by God to go to Nineveh, a very wicked city, the capital of the Assyrian 
empire and prophesy that in 40 days you're going to be destroyed. So Jonah went around the city prophesying, in 40 days you're going to be destroyed. And what did these pagan people do? I don't totally understand, but the Bible says they repented. They put on sackcloth and ashes and said, we're sorry, we're going to repent and acknowledge that God is God. And uh, Jonah was not happy about it. He just as soon saw the people destroyed. And uh, God was teaching him uh, an important lesson. These people had repented and God did not bring about the judgment that Jonah had prophesied. Was Jonah a false prophet? No, he'd given the prophecy that God had told him to give. But repentance is able to avert God's judgment. Now the reverse is true as well. Verse 9, and if at any time God is speaking, I declare concerning a nation or a kingdom that I will build and plant it. And if it does evil in my sight, not listening to my voice, then I will relent of the good that I had intended to do to it. And so if a prophecy is given, you, you nation are going to flourish. You nation are going to do great things. My favor is upon you. My blessing is upon you. And yet the people turn away from doing the right thing and they begin to do evil the blessing that God had on that nation will be removed. And his judgment then will come upon them. Now Ezekiel chapter 33 shows this same principle applying to individual people. We don't have time to look at it. You might read it on your own this week. Now Jeremiah then applies these principles directly to the land of Judah in which he was living. In verse 11, Now therefore... God says, say to the men of Jacob, of Judah, and the inhabitants of Jerusalem, thus says the Lord, behold, I am shaping disaster against you and devising a plan against you. Return every one of you from your evil way and amend your ways and your deeds. But they say, that is in vain. We will follow our own plans. And will everyone act according to the stubbornness of his evil heart? And through Jeremiah, God was speaking to the people of Judah. He's saying, disaster is coming. In fact, right in this verse, he gives them an opportunity to repent. Return every one of you from your evil way. Repent, turn away so that disaster would not come upon you. But the response of the people was not to accept God's offer of averting judgment if they repented. The people determined to follow their own plans. They wanted to go their own ways. They really didn't believe judgment was coming because it had been so long delayed. They thought they could get away with it, and so they stubbornly resisted God's plan. They, they refused to submit to the Lord's hand. And so as we're talking about us individually as clay in the potter's hand, we have decisions to make, and, and this is... Not just a one-time decision, but it's a decision that plays out on a daily basis. The decision is whether we're going to submit to the potter's hand, which is submitting to the plans that God has for our lives, or whether we're going to go our own stubborn way. To insist that we know better than God, we know better than the potter, we know what's best for us, we know what we want to do, and go a different way than the way that God is working and shaping our lives. And that's the wrong decision to make. If we submit to his hand, the potter's hand, 
to the potter's plan for our lives, then he will fashion us into a beautiful vessel that brings glory to God, the vessel that we were created to become. Now, one temptation that was followed by Judah is to follow our own plans for our life, not God's. And you know, this is like the clay telling the potter what to do. I know better than you, and I'm just going to go my own stubborn way. Or perhaps we say to the potter, I don't need you at all. I'm going to fashion myself into the type of vessel I want to be, into the plans that I have for my life. Not good. So let's think for a minute about how the potter shapes our lives how the Lord shapes our lives. Everything that happens in your life and my life has been permitted by God. Let me say that again. It's, it's hard to understand, but it's a very key concept. God is sovereign, and everything that happens in our lives, happens to us, has been permitted by God. Now, I'm being very careful with my language here. Uh, not necessarily caused by God, but permitted by God. He has allowed it to come into your life. The good things... And the things that don't seem good to us. We might even call them evil things or bad things. And so the people that God brings into your life. The situations that you encounter in life. The circumstances that you're going through in life. Are all directed or allowed by the hand of the potter. And yet even the things that we might think are bad. Can be used by the potter. To bring about something good in our lives. God uses even the evil things to shape us into the people that he has created us to be. And the story in scripture that I'm always reminded of is the story of Joseph. Twelve brothers. Wonderful family. The Genesis family of the whole nation of Israel and they turned against Joseph. They wanted to kill him. They sold him as a slave into Egypt. You would have thought, if it's all over, this family is a mess. And Joseph, he had some dreams about being a ruler. God had some great plans for his life. It seemed to be completely over with. And yet, as we go through the whole story, eventually Joseph rose to power in Egypt as God's plan, as God's vision for his life had been prophesied in the dreams he had been given. And he was able to rescue, to save his family, and they are all reunited again. And so even the evil that his brothers had intended to do to him or did to him God used to bring about good both for Joseph and for his entire family. It's an amazing story. So remember that story when something bad, something you feel is bad is happening to you. And it may well be a bad thing. It's not a good thing to throw your brother into a pit and sell him as a slave or want to kill him. It's not a good thing. But God can use that in your life to bring about good and to shape you into a vessel of beauty. And God used all those experiences in Joseph's life to make him into the man of God that he was. Choose to submit to the Lord's hand, which 
To put it the opposite way is don't resist the Lord's hand. Look at verse 13. Therefore, thus says the Lord, ask among the nations who has heard the lack of this. The virgin Israel has done a very horrible thing. Does the snow of Lebanon leave the crags of Syrian? Do the mountain waters run dry, the cold flowing streams? And so Jeremiah continues to speak for God here. He asks a series of rhetorical questions. Does the snow leave the mountains or the mountain rivers run dry? And the answer is obviously not. It's always there in this particular mountain. There was always snow in the peaks. The mountain streams continued to run all year long. And has anyone heard of a nation turning against their God like Israel? In fact, God often used the examples of the other nations, the pagan nations around. They each had their gods. They didn't turn away from their gods. And yet Israel was turning away from the one true God, the creator of everything. It's, the answer is no. Nobody's heard of a nation turning against their God. Israel had chosen to resist the Lord's hand. In verse 15, but my people have forgotten me. God is speaking. They make offerings to false gods. They, the false gods, make them stump, made them stumble in their ways, in the ancient roads, and to walk into side roads, not the highway. And so the people of Israel, rather than choosing to worship the Lord God alone, rather than choosing to submit to the potter's hands, they had chosen to worship false gods, the idols of the unbelievers around them and the nations around them. And these false gods did not bring the blessing into their lives they thought they would. It says here that these false gods made them stumble in their ways. Good things did not happen to them as they followed these false gods. And rather than walking on what the prophets call the highway of holiness, the highway of holiness is God's plan for your life. And he wants us to walk on this highway of holiness but Israel, when they began to follow the false gods, they got off on side roads, dangerous roads, roads that led nowhere. You see, the highway of holiness leads into the presence of God, but the side roads lead away from God to destruction. And though the offer to restore Israel was always there, they had, it had to be accepted by repentance. Verse 17, like the east wind, God is speaking again through Jeremiah, I will scatter them before the enemy. I will show them my back, not my face, in the day of their calamity. And so if Israel continued to resist God, continued to resist the potter's hand, eventually the enemy would come and bring about destruction. And rather than God being with them face to face, Right? That's a good thing. If you love somebody, you're talking to them, you'll talk to them face to face. It says of Moses, he was a friend of God. He talked to God face to face. But God was going to turn his back on them. The relationship with God would be broken. He'd turn his back on them. And with his back on them, they would no longer be protected from the enemy, but would face his judgment. And Jeremiah was the one chosen by God to to give the people of Judah God's final warnings. And we know from Scripture, we know from history outside of Scripture that Judah did not repent. The Babylonian army swept in and judgment came. 
The majority of people were deported to Babylon. Many were killed. It was a horrific time. There comes a time when it's too late to repent. There comes a time when God's judgment cannot be stayed. And so we mustn't resist the Lord's hand when he calls us to submit to him. And so God's warnings of judgment, God's warnings of calamity are, are real. If we resist his hand, God's warnings are something we really need to consider. God is merciful, and he gave Judah hundreds of years to repent. And they thought it was never going to happen, you see. They were lulled into a sense of false security. But yet, they were wrong, and judgment did come in a very terrible way. And today, God calls on people across the world. He calls every person to repent of their sins and to give their lives to Jesus Christ, become believers in Jesus. He calls on people to turn to him while there is still time. The time to repent is not forever. Each of us is allotted by God a number of days to live our lives on earth. And although we all think we're going to live to 250 or 500, it never happens, you see. Uh, and most of us don't make 100. There's a limited lifespan we have to repent and turn our lives over to the potter's hand to Jesus Christ. And for some who continue to resist the Lord in this lifetime, the Holy Spirit may stop speaking to your heart as you harden your heart to such a degree that you no longer listen to the prompting calls of the Holy Spirit. The point is that God's warnings are real. When he convicts us of sin, we need to repent. We need to turn back to him, make it right. And then he can continue to work in our lives, continue to shape us as his clay on his wheel into his design for our lives. There may be those around you that you know have not submitted their lives to Jesus Christ. They may be, perhaps, they've never had any dealings with God. Or perhaps at one point, they seem to be believers and now they've wandered away. And perhaps the clay of their lives is becoming hardened. Let's pray for them, that God would soften the clay of their hearts. That God would give them soft hearts that once again would listen to the Holy Spirit, convicting them so that they could turn, they could repent before it's too late. Pray that God in his mercy would draw them to himself. Don't resist God's hand. And so each one of us, take home lesson, one of us is as clay in the potter's hand. And that's kind of a humbling thought, isn't it? I'm just a lump of clay in the potter's hand. There's no reason for pride because he is the one that's shaping us. We're not shaping ourselves. We just need to submit to his hand. God is in control of our lives. And that's a comforting thought. We don't have to shape ourselves. He is the one that shapes us into the people he's created us to be. We just need to submit to that hand, which may not always be easy. We need to acknowledge that what God is doing in our lives is the right thing, that his plans are the best plans. And even when he allows something that we consider bad to come into our lives, let's not shout back at the potter, why have you done this to me? 
He's allowed it for good. He's allowed it that he might help us to turn towards him. He's allowed it that we might submit our lives to him, both in the good times and the bad times. And as we do that, he can use those difficult circumstances into our li- in our lives to shape us to becoming more and more like Jesus. When we look at the life of Jesus, was everything a bed of roses in Jesus' life? No, not through his life and certainly not through his death. So we must be careful not to resist the Lord's hand. We must be careful to understand that the potter knows best. And he doesn't always tell us all the plans that he has for us. Some things are a surprise, but that's okay. He's always going to help us through. He's going to continue to shape us into the person that he created us to be. And as we continue to submit our lives to his hands, we're going to be that vessel of honor, that vessel of glory that God dreamed up before we were created in our mother's womb. And we're going to fulfill his plan for our lives. And so this morning, I want to give you an opportunity to to become a child of God to submit to the potter's hand for the first time or perhaps to resubmit to his hand today. If you've never committed your life to Jesus Christ, to do that, you need to admit that you've sinned, that you've done wrong things. Secondly, you need to believe that Jesus died on the cross, that you might be forgiven. Ask him to forgive you, to come into your life and finally commit your life to serving him. Basically, commit yourself as clay in the potter's hand. And for those of you, perhaps, uh, you've made a decision in the past and maybe you feel like you've been resisting the potter's hand a bit. You've been getting away from God's plan for your life and you want to recommit your life to him. And this would be a good time to do that as well. So let's bow our heads right now. I'm going to pray. I'd encourage you to pray with me to make this important commitment to the Lord. Say something like this. Father, today, I admit that I've Sinned, I've done wrong things, things that I knew knew were wrong and I did them. But I believe that Jesus died on the cross, lived a perfect life, took my sin upon himself and paid the price that I might be forgiven. Please forgive me. Come into my life. I believe that Jesus rose from the dead and he's alive today and I commit myself to following him as my Lord and Savior. And Father, for the rest of us, God, we thank you that and we acknowledge that we are clay in your hand. You are the potter. We are the clay. You are in charge. We submit to you. Forgive us for the times where we thought we know best. We knew best. Forgive us for the times when we tried to shape ourselves into something we wanted to be rather than submit to your hand. Today, we make a choice to humble ourselves and submit ourselves to your hand. Whether your hand brings things we think are wonderful into our lives or things that we think might be difficult, we know that you know best. And as we submit to you, you're going to bring good out of everything that you allow into our lives. God, we ask that you would help us not to resist your hand. Not to say no to you, not to say 
I don't want to go that way. Not to say, that's too hard. I want an easier road. God, help us never to be angry at you for the things that you allow into our lives. Because you know best. And everything that you allow into our lives is the best thing. That we might be shaped into the vessel that you created us to be. We thank you that you are the potter and we are the clay. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. If you made a commitment or recommitment of your life to Jesus Christ today, I'd like to ask you to check a box on the back of your Connect card so we can pray for you. We have some materials in the table in the foyer, a startup studies and a New Believer's New Testament. They're free. We encourage you to pick one up. If you pick those up, if you never have before, they'll help you in your walk with God. In closing, we're going to sing a song, Our God Saves. Uh, God is the one who saves, and God is the one who, who makes us into the people he designed us to be. So let's stand as we worship with the song, Our God Saves. <laughs>